With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Alex Kennedy Podcast, which is part of the Basketball News Podcast Network. Since the NBA season is right around the corner, we'll once again be posting new episodes of this podcast every single week, so make sure you're subscribed and you won't miss a single episode. Today, our conversation's a little bit different. We're not getting into much basketball talk. Instead, we're breaking down last week's shocking news that 18 former NBA players were charged with defrauding the NBA's health and welfare benefit plan. The players allegedly submitted fraudulent claims to get reimbursed for fake medical and dental procedures. The players submitted $3.9 million in false claims and $2.5 million were paid out. 18 players were charged, including Tony Allen, Glenn Big Baby Davis, Darius Miles, Sebastian Telfair, Ruben Patterson, Shannon Brown, Will Bynum, and Terrence Williams, who allegedly orchestrated the scheme and recruited players to participate. To help break down these charges and what's ahead in this case, I'm joined by a top legal expert. My guest is David Weinstein, a Jones Walker LLP attorney who's represented athletes in white collar criminal cases over the course of his 30 year career. He also has his own podcast, Huddling with the Pros. David, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm well, Alex. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate an opportunity to help people sort of understand what's going on here. Yeah, I was very shocked when this news broke. So I'm curious when you heard about this case. You know, I think many NBA fans were stunned, especially because quite a few notable players were charged, including some who've gone on to become coaches and broadcasters. What was your initial reaction to the charges? You know, it's unfortunate, but like all sports, the NBA doesn't just produce all-stars and people who have very long careers. So to me, it's not unusual, unfortunately, to hear about players who fall into that one to four year sort of playing career who after they're done, they don't really have a way to keep supplementing their income. And I'm not suggesting that all players who don't do that well can't find a way to lead a productive life afterwards. But unfortunately, a lot of these guys come from a background where free education and whatever they're getting from the boosters in college was what they lived on. And then they got a little bit of money coming out of a contract in the NBA. And it was a you know, one to three year contract. They weren't making super amounts of money from their contracts. And so when somebody comes along with a it's too good to be true plan and guaranteeing them some more money, they sort of buy into it. And that's really what happened here. And that's what Williams was doing to the rest of these guys. Yeah. And recently there was a very similar case involving about a dozen former NFL players who submitted $2.9 million worth of fraudulent medical claims for reimbursement, including Clinton Portis, uh, you know, a Pro Bowl running back. 
Many of those players pleaded guilty and they're still await, awaiting sentencing. Since these situations are so similar, what can we learn from the NFL case and how that played out? Well, you know, I wish it was that the NFL case was unlike any other case, but unfortunately, the NFL case is like any case that you're going to encounter in federal court. The way that these cases are put together and the way that sentences are driven in these cases, it's based on the amount of fraud. And in that case, it was two to three and a half million or somewhere in that neighborhood. In this one, it's just a tick under four million, 3.9 million. So that's what's going to drive the guidelines. A lot of the players who are involved at the lower end of it, people who Williams recruited and who submitted these claims and who made money, their loss amount's going to be significantly lower, but they're still looking at felony convictions. So they're going to try to minimize the amount of time they get. And in any federal case, minimizing the amount of time you're going to get is governed by do you cooperate with the government? We saw it in the Portis case. We'll most likely see it in this case. We've seen it in the Varsity Blues cases where people take a plea early on. Some agree to testify, others don't. So that's what's going to help to drive all of this. And so what I expect to see in this case are some of the lower level participants, the people who Williams convinced to go ahead and file these false claims and who got some money or who paid back some of the money. They're going to agree to lower level deals here, perhaps some that only involve making a false statement on the claim, not necessarily the wire fraud conspiracy that they're charged with. Others may feel that it's in their best interest to cooperate because they're a little bit higher up. The way this particular conspiracy worked was Williams was at the top. He had a couple of people below him and then everybody else got recruited underneath. And so those people at the low end of this are going to be looking to cut deals for something less than what the actual crime is here. Again, perhaps a false statement, work out some sort of a deal where they'll get a minimal or no jail time, but still a felony conviction. I'm curious. I saw that the NFL players who were indicted, you know, Portis and a few others, it, it occurred in Kentucky, whereas the NBA players were indicted in Manhattan. I, I was reading earlier that in Kentucky, you know, a conviction of a class C felony can result in a prison term of five to 10 years, whereas in New York, that same conviction, you know, can lead to 20 years in prison. Is New York tougher on white collar crime than other states? And is that something to keep an eye on here? Well, both of the cases took place in federal district court. So despite the fact that they're in different states, the state statutory penalties really don't apply. Mm. You're dealing with the federal statutory penalties. And so in this case, the penalty is a maximum sentence of up to 20 years for the conspiracy count. And then Williams is also charged with what's called aggravated identity theft. That one carries a two-year punishment that has to be run consecutive to whatever time he gets on the conspiracy count. And so realistically, the amount of time that they're looking at, whether it's Kentucky, whether it's New York, whether it's Florida, whether it's California, in federal district court, it's all going to be the same. Now, if you're looking at it in terms of state court violations, yes, we've seen the state court prosecutors in New York be far more aggressive than some of the prosecutors in states like Kentucky or some of the Western states. So there's a little bit of flexibility there, but in these cases, they're all being prosecuted in federal district court. So they're all looking at similar amounts of time and incarceration in Bureau of Prison locations throughout the U.S. 
Got it. One thing that surprised me when I was looking at the NFL case was the guy that orchestrated that one. I believe his name was Robert McCune. Uh, you know, he recruited players. And like you said, it wasn't as much money as the NBA case. But uh, the Associated Press said that he's facing life in prison or, you know, up to life in prison because he had 13 counts of healthcare fraud, 11 counts of wire fraud, three counts of aggravated identity theft. Uh, and conspiracy to commit health care fraud and water fraud. So you mentioned Terrence Williams is the one who allegedly orchestrated the NBA scheme. And he was also charged with a number of other things. Uh, he allegedly received $230,000 in kickbacks from 10 players. At one point, he impersonated an, an individual who processed the claims. Um, why is McCune facing up to life in prison? And then someone like Williams is facing less than that, as you mentioned, maybe 20 years. Sheer number of counts. Mm. McEwen was charged with at least, uh, as you've stated here, uh, six, seven different felonies that each carry 20 years. And so while it's not really up to you know life, it may be a, a life sentence as calculated under the guidelines. By the time they get done computing what the guideline sentencing range would be, the number of points he accumulates is going to put him in a 360 to life sentence. But the only way to achieve that sentence would be he'd have to be sentenced consecutively for each of the counts of his convictions. That's not required. A judge can sentence him concurrently, which means he gets up to 20 years on count one, up to 20 years on counts two through six. He could run them concurrently for a sentence that's in the 20-year range. But his guidelines under the advisory guideline sentencing system, when you accumulate the points, He's looking probably at a 360 life sentence, which would, again, require the judge to sentence him consecutively on each of these counts. Hmm. Yeah. In Williams, in Williams case, he's only looking at a single count of the conspiracy to commit wire fraud, which carries up to 20 years. And then if you break it down by what his guidelines are, depending on some different enhancements that they could put on him, it's driven by the monetary amount of the fraud, which in this case is the three point nine million. So that slots him into an area, rough calculations here, without any enhancements of uh, five years if he went to trial, four years if he took a plea and was given acceptance of responsibility. However, if they find him to be what's called an organizer leader, that's going to add some additional points to his calculation. And he's looking at a sentence that would range, we talk about in months, 87 to 108 months if he goes to trial and he's convicted in 70 to 87 months, if he takes a plea and they don't vary downward from the bottom end of that guideline. And so, you know, those are numbers that are anywhere from six to you're closing in on about eight or nine years of a sentence here based on the fraud that he committed. Yeah. When I talked to some fans and people that just kind of heard about the story, I think their thought was, Oh, these guys are gonna have to pay it back and they're going to get some fines, but it sounds like the punishments could actually be, pretty severe here and there could actually be some prison time served and i think that's surprising to some people that may not know this case as well but just kind of heard about it or read the headline you know do you think uh for the other players outside of williams as you mentioned i know i know it depends on whether they cooperate and right. you know their specific circumstances but you know do you think we could see multiple players from this case end up in prison i don't think we're going to see more than perhaps maybe four or five of these players end up with any significant invite when i say significant I'm talking about prison sentences that are going to be a year or more. The people at the lower end of this who bought into Williams' scheme and who submitted the false claims along with his help 
and got proceeds. Some of them paid it back. And so they'll get credit for that, both in the amount of restitution and forfeiture that the government's seeking and also in their ability to show the judge that they've shown remorse for this, that they've accepted responsibility for this. And so they'll work their way down into sentences that year or less, maybe even some probation for, for some of these guys, depending upon how much they cooperate and where they slot themselves in. But Williams and the three or four players up at the top of this whole conspiracy, those are the people that I would expect are going to be looking at some significant time, you know, potentially in the neighborhood of anywhere from four plus years based on the conduct they've committed. And then they're responsible as well for paying this money back. It's not just the 230000 that Williams got in kickbacks, but it's the 3.9 that was defrauded from this health care plan. And I, I think that part of the message that the prosecution is going to send, part of the rationale for sentencing is you need to send a message to people who are thinking about doing this. And again, this is a private health care plan. And so it's affected a smaller number of people. But unfortunately, we see cases like this all the time involving Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, other government related health care programs where people are doing the same thing. And those people are going to jail for a significant amount of time. And their guidelines are higher because it's a federal entity that they're defrauding. You get more points for doing that. In some ways, Williams and the rest of these people were lucky because they don't get that enhancement and that keeps their number a little bit lower. Hmm. I know the NFL players who face similar charges, they were indicted in December of 2019 and they just pled guilty last month and they're still awaiting sentencing. So, you know, do you expect the NBA case to take about the same amount of time? And what are the next steps of this process? I expect the NBA case to move a lot quicker. Part of the reason why that other case took so long is the reason anything takes so long these days. Coronavirus. Mm. Things just, we were all shut down for a while. Cases in federal district court move very quickly. You're required to be taken to trial within 75 days. Courts generally grant one continuance based on the amount of evidence that you've received. You're going to go through that evidence. So cases generally resolve in six months or less. And so if these players were finally arrested and you know brought in front of the court and arraigned on these charges, you know, within the last week now, we're looking at something that, you know, could be over by springtime with regard to what's going to take place here. And even if it goes to trial, uh, hopefully by springtime, we'll be in a better position and have more cases go to trial if you want to go to trial. So by summer at the latest, but it's not going to stretch on for the two years it took the NFL case. And also keep in mind that case had a mistrial. A jury couldn't reach a verdict. And so it did actually go to trial despite mm -hmm. the pandemic. And so they finally came back and decided to cut their losses. But the next steps in this one are going to be for all of these players to be rounded up and processed and presented to the court for what's called an initial appearance where they're advised of the charges. They'll retain lawyers or if they can't afford lawyers, they'll have lawyers appointed for them because there are so many public defender won't be able to represent all of them. They'll have to bring in other lawyers who are paid through the Criminal Justice Act then they'll get the discovery in this case. They'll, we heard mention, if you look through the indictment, you'll read about emails that went back and forth, faxes that were sent from different places. There were a couple of entities who were cooperating in this indictment with the prosecution. So all that information will be funneled to the defense attorneys. They'll sort through it. They'll review it with their clients. They'll look at whatever bank records they have, and then they'll make a decision. Are we going to try and cut a deal, which is what happens in you know almost 90% of these cases, or are we going to go to trial and make the government prove their case against us? And then as part of the 
process of figuring out what the deal is going to be. They'll be negotiating the amount of loss, whether or not there's an aggravating factor for being the organizer of this conspiracy, whether or not there are mitigating factors for being a bit player in this and, and not having such a large stake in the outcome. And, you know, this will play out potentially before the end of the upcoming NBA season. Wow. Okay. Uh, one player, Greg Smith, allegedly submitted a false claim while he was out of the country. He said he was having a dental procedure done that included, you know, eight crowns and a root canal, but he was in Taiwan playing overseas on that same date. Other players allegedly submitted invoices showing that they had root canals done on the same teeth on the same day. Some of these just seem so obvious and very hard to defend. So now that these players were caught, you know, do you think kind of like we saw in the NFL situation, do you expect these players to plead guilty? Because I, I mean, I can't imagine how you would defend that. Well, you know, it depends who submitted the claim forms. It depends how they were prepared, who gave them to them. I don't know all of the facts in this case. I only know what I've seen in the indictment, which are the allegations you just spoke about. Uh, it appears that there are customs records showing that there was one player who was out of the country when he was supposed to be getting treatment. That's pretty damning evidence. Now, Again, depending upon who prepared that form, how it was submitted, it's possible that the player may say, well, no, I knew that I wasn't there. I, somebody else showed me a different form, and that's the form I signed off on. And so uh, I didn't knowingly sign off on that particular form. Again, it would depend on the form itself, whether his signature's on that form. As far as the repeat dental surgery, same type of thing could be present here. Uh, is that the form that I submitted? Well, no, here, I've got a different form at home. Um, you know, I don't know where you got that one from, but here's the one I have, you know, on the other side, if that's really what happened, yes, it's a little hard to refute evidence that somebody has with your signature on it. And with records that show you weren't supposed to be where you were supposed to be or dental records that show you don't have those crowns. You never had that root, root canal. And so in those cases, hard to defend. And then you're in a position where I need to cut the best deal I can cut to minimize my exposure. Now, I don't know if this information was included in the indictment, but I saw that Tony Allen's wife, Desiree, was also charged in this. You know, she was the only spouse, I believe, that has been charged so far, you know, in addition to the NBA players. Was there any details about why that was or her involvement? Or is that something that maybe come out, will come out later? Uh, it may the rationale as to why they've uh, charged her in this indictment and haven't charged others is probably going to uh, come out later. Um, she's referred to as a relevant person here. Those who are former NBA players were named as such. She was named as the spouse of Anthony Allen. Um, looking at the allegations that are contained with regard to Allen and what it is that was claimed to have gone on there, uh, there is some information indicating you know, the different roles of the people here. I'm looking through the indictment as, as I'm talking to you here to see whether or not they specify what it was that that she did, um, seeing Davis and, and Watson in the dental scheme here. And those are the players who weren't in the country at the time. Um, as, as far as Allen goes, I'm not sure that just scrolling through here, I can see what it was she did or how she did it or, or you know, how she acted. Uh, it may be as simple as she also put a claim in here and right. people a claim in. And so that's information that, um, you know, we'll find out here as the case unravels and as it is brought forward. And these people stipulate to certain facts that support their convictions. 
Well, I noticed too that the investigator said that this is an ongoing investigation. Does that mean we could see more players uh, potentially pop up in this investigation? I know right now it's 18. Could we see additional players, uh, you know, charged, do you think? Or is this in a situation like this, do they typically charge everyone at once and try to bring them all in custody at once? You know, do you think we could see this continue to grow? We could likely see some more individuals being brought into this. Again, the people who they file these charges against, that's their strongest case. Mm. That's the people who they have the strongest evidence against. And this is one set of individuals who are doing this. Now, in speaking with some of these individuals in an attempt by these individuals to cooperate with the government and get a benefit from the government, they may very well start talking about, we're not the only ones. You may want to look at somebody else who's doing this and then offer that assistance and that information in an effort to reduce the amount of time that they're looking at. And if that's the case, there may be an entirely new set of defendants who are added to this. They might be NBA players. They might not be NBA players. Or they could have uncovered some fraud that's connected to another healthcare program or one that's uh, being maintained by the federal government. Uh, the answers to that one are a little bit endless here depending upon what these people tell them as they continue their investigation. I know you've worked with people who have been charged with white collar crimes and, and helped represent them. What advice would you give to the players who are now weighing their options? And I'm sure they're very scared right now, you know, seeing uh, some of the possible sentences and things like that. What advice would you give to these players uh, now that they've been charged and are kind of figuring out what's next? So there's two kinds of advice I give to uh, people who are clients who have been potentially victimized in, in cases like this. And the first one is when somebody makes you an offer like this, it usually sounds too good to be true. And if that's the case, it is. And you should think twice about getting involved with something like it. After you've passed that point and you've become involved with it, you need to sit down, you need to catch your breath. And we need to take a look at the evidence that the government has to prove their case. The burden's on the government to prove their case. Just because you're charged doesn't mean you're guilty. So before anybody passes judgment on you as a defendant or before we as the public pass judgment on any of these people, let's see what the evidence shows. Now, if you're charged and the evidence shows that they can prove the allegations, then we need to start looking at what our best options are. Do we want to cut our losses at this point? and enter into some sort of negotiations so that we can minimize the exposure in terms of money that has to be paid back, in terms of how much time you're going to be doing, then that's what we need to do and do it sooner rather than later and be one of the first people to come forward. You don't want to be at the end of or the back of the bus here when they're handing out the plea offers. On the other hand, if you really you know, believe and, and can prove that this is not true, then you're entitled to your day in court. And as your lawyer, I'm here to go through the evidence with you and make a presentation and make our arguments to the jury as to why the government hasn't proven their case beyond a reasonable doubt. So, you know, the best advice I have for these people is to get a lawyer who's familiar with this subject area, sit down with them, go over the facts, go over the evidence and make a decision. And once you make that decision, stick with that decision and do your best to go forward. Are there any other uh, details about this case that you find interesting or things that you're keeping an eye on? I know you've went through the indictment and you've been following along here. Is there any additional details that kind of jump out at you or that, you know, you want to discuss? You know, I, I think it's interesting here that, you know, we all view our healthcare plans as an opportunity and a benefit for us. 
we're all affected by actions undertaken by people like this. They cause our healthcare premiums to go up. Um, you know, quite frankly, you have a healthcare plan, and if you've suffered some sort of injury or you're looking to recover for something, then you should submit your claim under your healthcare plan. What these people did, and what it's alleged rather that these people have done, is that they tried to get something for nothing. They didn't get the services that that they claimed that they received. And then in order to make a little bit of money off of it, they paid back Williams a kickback for what he got. And again, it's not just in this situation or this setting. These types of cases happen all the time throughout the U.S. where people are preyed upon and recruited. And a little bit of money goes a long way with people who don't have a lot of money. And then the guy who gets the benefit or the woman who gets the benefit is somebody sitting up on the top of this. So, you know, this is sort of the tip of the iceberg here. Uh, again, it's a shame that we're seeing it now with professional athletes in the center of it after the high profile that these athletes have and, you know, people who look up to them, whether it's kids, whether it's college athletes or, or whomever it might be, all in the hopes that they're going to get a little bit of something for nothing. Yeah. And, you know, what I what, what jumped out at me, too, is, you know, I think five, six years ago is whenever uh, the retired players association was able to negotiate this, you know, healthcare plan so that retired players would have coverage and be able to get reimbursed for things and, and have that. So I, I know that was something that Spencer Haywood and some of these former players really fought for. And I know he's come out and said, you know, that he's heartbroken, that this is something right. that he's, that he fought for. And he thought this would be his legacy that he got retired players healthcare and uh, basically had a chance to take care of them and their families. Even if you only played a few games in the NBA, you'd have that kind of coverage and reimbursement for the rest of your life. And then to see within five years, five, six years, uh, the program's already being taken advantage of. I mean, that's a sad part of the story that I think isn't being talked about enough. Well, and again, you know, you're looking at uh, professional athletes. Not everybody is a superstar. Not yeah. everybody's getting a multi-million dollar contract. Not everybody's getting endorsement. Not everybody is getting themselves in a situation where they're never going to have to work again. A lot of these guys and women, you know, uh, female athletes as well, you know, you enter into a sport because you love playing the game and now somebody's offered to pay you money for playing the game. And so you get a, a short career, one to, to three years, four years, and then you're done. And then what do you do? And so you hope that either whatever physical issues have arisen as a result of your playing time are covered by the association who you played with or by a player's association from the game that you played. And that's what these players tried to do, try to get this healthcare plan in place. And the fact that people took advantage of that and liquidated a lot of the assets of this program, it hurts, as you mentioned, the people who really needed the help and who have a lifelong physical or mental issue here that arose from their time playing and now they can't get treatment for it and now they can't get health care for it because it's not covered by their traditional health care yeah it's really unfortunate uh well david i really appreciate you joining to help break all this down uh, i learned a lot i had a lot of questions about this because again i think you see the headline and you try to read up on it but uh there's there's it's, it's something that i'm not used to covering or or you know, following. So I appreciate you helping break it all down. Is there anything else that you think NBA fans or NBA media should know about this case that we haven't discussed? Uh, I think, you know, you provide so much great information, but anything else that you want to add? No, I think we've covered it all. Uh, you know, I, I think that these are people that uh, everybody looks up to and you have to remember that uh, they're human beings and they suffer from same of the same problems that we all have. And don't be tempted. Uh, you know, your heroes and your idols can be tempted just like you can. 
Well, David, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. If you want to hear more episodes of the Alex Kennedy podcast, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to check out all the podcasts on the Basketball News Podcast Network. And until next time, thanks for listening.